Everybody. Jeff is not only a great lead pastor, Jeff is an awesome soccer coach of boys under nine. Uh, I got to watch his son Dylan yesterday play, and Dylan had scored one goal at um, halftime. Uh, also, the parents of the other team were not very happy with Jeff because he was on the field a lot. Uh, I noticed that, but uh, I told Dylan, I said, give me one more goal. Okay, Uncle Doug's here, one more goal. And he scored another goal second half, and then he does this. As he's running away, he looks at me, two, two, okay, <laughs> nine years old, Jeff's kid. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, that's it's kind of the Bruin, Jeff's at UCLA, it's kind of the Bruin cockiness that happens there, which they're feeling real good after Lane Kiffin got fired yesterday. Uh, anyway, some of you didn't know that, it's true. We are finishing a series that has been called Neighbor Good, where the foundational theme of this whole series has been love your neighbor. In week one, I opened the series up where we talked about not your physical neighbors, but actually the neighbors that live in your house. How do you love those who are in the next room to you or share the room or the bed, your, your family, your spouse, your kids? How do we start with loving them? Then the circle kind of goes out. In week two, Jeff talked about how do you define what neighbor is? How far down the street do we actually go with that? Then last week, Jeff gave an amazing message about outsiders, that outsiders really are our neighbor and we need to love the outsiders, the marginalized, those on the fringe. Today, we're going even further out than that. Not beyond the outsiders to those who actually deserve to be outsiders are our enemies. You maybe have heard that phrase before, love your enemies. We throw it around a lot because it's biblical. We just don't like to actually live it out. Now, when you begin to think about this phrase, love your enemies, and you think deeply on it, which I have this week, it is a head snapper. It really, it kind of throws your head back like, what? I mean, there are, there are I can make sense of a lot of things in the Bible, a lot of the teaching, a lot of the commands, like do not murder, <laughs> makes sense to me. That I, I go, yeah, I can see that, I understand that. Do not commit adultery, okay? I mean, I, I can see that as well. God's not saying don't have sex because God created it. Thank you, God. Uh, you know, he's not saying don't have sex. He's just saying don't have sex with other people that aren't your spouse, because you can't show me any adulterous relationship where everybody is happy. So God's not down on sex. He's down on pain. Therefore, don't have adultery. Let me lead you away from pain. I, I get those. But this one, love your enemies. I mean, why? Why would I do that? I mean, I don't, I don't really want to love my enemy. That just seems so radical. But friends, what I want you to hear is that following Jesus is radical. I've been following Jesus since I'm a teenager. And the longer I walk with him, the more radical that I see the adventure that he has called me into. And loving your enemies is one of those radical actions. See, most people who call themselves Christians... They don't embrace the radical teachings of Jesus. They kind of have a, a pick and choose and I'll follow what I want to follow type mentality of following Jesus. And because of that, they don't see Jesus as radical. They have distorted the reality of Jesus. So Jesus has become weak and, and kind of neutered in some way. He's, 
he's light and fluffy, and he's a nice thing to have as kind of a, a protection source, and, and he makes you feel warm. He's kind of a, uh, in some ways, almost a character. Jesus the character. I mean, have you seen these figurines that have uh, kind of popularized this image? I brought some pictures of some Jesus figurines. Uh, the first is, uh, you know, apparently Jesus is playing keep away. He's taller, and the kids don't get the ball, which doesn't seem fair. Then there's jogging Jesus, okay? That kids, if you train with me, <laughs> you can walk on water too. Uh, then there is uh, football Jesus, which I'm not sure it's wise to tackle the Son of God. Uh, and then my favorite is, is karate Jesus, okay? We're all in robes together. Let's fight, okay? Jesus is not a fictional character. Jesus is not in the same league as Barney the singing dinosaur. You don't crucify Barney. See, Jesus was hated because he went after the religious folks who were focusing, listen carefully, they were focusing on religious performance motivated by duty rather than being people who were passionately obedient, motivated by love. Now, if you look in your notes or up on the screen, Matthew 5 is where we get this love your enemies challenge. It says, you have heard that it was said. And if you have a pen, just go ahead and bracket that. You have heard that it was said because we're going to come back to that. Then he says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But, here's the big but, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So in this one sentence, Jesus expands the definition of neighbor to include enemy. Now let me give you a little context of what I had you bracket. You have heard that it was said. See, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon of Jesus. If you want to read it, Matthew 5 through 7. If you want to spend your entire life reading it, it's Matthew 5 through 7, to try to figure out how do you align yourself with the teachings of Jesus. He's addressing people that have heard what was said before. They knew it. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the law. They knew it inside out. They had it memorized. They had internalized every rule and every... They knew it all. That's why Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, they knew it all, but here's what had happened. They missed out on love by focusing on the law. They knew so much of the law that Jesus was going after them that they, they didn't have love. I told you a couple weeks ago that we have just recently become empty nesters. And Kathy and I went on a 12-day tour on the East Coast. I had three different speaking engagements in D.C. and New York and uh, South Carolina. And when we were in New York City, we met with a friend of ours who is um, trying to be a Broadway star as a singer and a dancer. And as we're at lunch, I was asking him about auditions. And he said he just did an audition for this major Broadway musical, and he was told that he was the best one in the audition. And then he said, but I didn't get the role. Like, how can you be the best and not get the role? And they said... The producer afterwards said, your mechanics were better than anyone's, but you never smiled. 
you had no passion. And I thought, that is a perfect illustration of what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's saying. Hey, gang, your religious dancing moves, they're fine. But you have no heart. See, Jesus is saying, love your neighbors. Anybody can do that. If you have your Bible and move down a few verses to verse 46, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what's the big deal? This is what he actually says. Even pagans do that. So why is Jesus challenging us to love our enemies? Think deeply for a second. Why is he challenging us to love our enemies? Why is he challenging us to be so radical? What is that call all about? Well, God created us. He knows how life works best. He knows how our heart in life and a preferred life functions best. So what he knows is that when we have enemies, enemies actually damage our heart. Enemies actually malfunction our joy. Enemies actually excrete a residue of bitterness out of our life. Enemies actually minimize our capacity to love. Let me show you. This, this uh, sponge here, this sponge represents our heart. Okay? Track with me. This sponge represents our heart. This, this water represents God's love. Okay, the water represents God's love. That those of us that have a relationship with God, we're promised through Scripture that God fills us with, with His love. The fist, the fist represents our hatred, our enemies. Now, a lot, what, here's what a lot of us actually go through life thinking, that I can compartmentalize my heart, that I can actually receive the love of God and hate my neighbor. And this is why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because when your life is categorized by hate, you, you then take your heart into other relationships. Your marriage, your parenting, the marketplace, friends, neighbors, and you don't have the love to give. You go, oh, I love my family. No, you, you, are, you are gripping your heart. You're killing it of the love that God is expressing in you as opposed to a, a heart that is that is loving, a heart that, that isn't gripped with hatred for enemies, then I take my heart into my marriage and I have something to give. Then I take my heart into my parenting and I have something to give, into my friendships that I, I have God's love that is able to flow through me. See, when we have a grip on our enemies and we have this, this hatred it clogs the love of God that's supposed to flow through our life. So you say, why would Jesus want us to love our enemies? Because he knows how our hearts work. He knows how we're wired. That we can't fully love if we're hanging on to, to hatred. So, here's the question for you. Who's your enemy? Who's your enemy? Now, for some of you, you know right away. You can write it down. You can think about it. You know their name. You, you, see, you see their face. It come, I mean, if you were to meet me by the door afterwards and we talked about it, you would be thinking, oh, that guy, man, my enemy, he's a, he is a jerk. You know it clearly, but here's why. Because you've rehearsed your hatred. 
You've, you've replayed your hatred. You reviewed it. It's clear. It's compelling. That person is there actually continuing to hurt you. So some of you have enemies like that. For some of us in here, we don't have an enemy that necessarily has a face or a name or a look. We, maybe, maybe it's most of us in here, we've what I call created emotional enemies. So we have these emotional enemies that, that we have, they, they, didn't, they didn't stab us in the back, they didn't steal money from us, they didn't kick our cat over the fence. I mean, we, they don't have a specific offense, but nonetheless, they're people, often nameless, that we've created as emotional enemies. This is where I live. Okay, Doug Fields, this is, this is where I live. I, I can't name you an enemy, or, um, but I can, I'm, I'm really good at creating emotional enemies. And actually, I'm really good at creating them quickly. I also need to tell you, this is the part of the message that I hate. Okay, just want to let you know where I'm confessing my sins in order for you to help yours. Just want to let you know that, by the way, I hate doing this, all right? I'd much rather come here and not confess my junk and just go after yours. But I know that won't be as effective. My hope is, after a few years, you'll meet me at the door and go, okay, Doug, don't, you don't have to worry about your stuff. Just ready to confess mine. But you're not there yet, okay? That's why I have to do mine. And I, I don't like this, this part of message preparation. Because I'm quickly, I'm embarrassed how quickly I can make someone an enemy. For example, a, a minor jealousy, given a little bit of incubation, can become a major envy. Quickly. It's embarrassing. I'll give you an example. I mean, jealousy comes and goes. Uh, you know, I can go to the gym, and I can see somebody my age with a 32-inch waist with six-pack abs, and I can feel a little jealous. You know, I wish I was in better shape, and that's why I wear my shirts untucked, kind of hide the muffin top uh, right here. But, you know, I'm not in as good a shape as him. No big deal. Grab a donut, leave. You know, <clears throat> that's, that's jealousy, right? Envy is when I pull into a parking lot, and I... I see a Mercedes taking up three parking spots because it's a, it's a special car. And I've got to circle the gym parking lot to try to find a space for my 1999 Suburban kid taxi. And the only spot that I have is in between the trash cans and the shopping carts. And I can't even get out my door, so I have to dismount through the back of the Suburban. And that's when I grab my keys and I walk over to that Mercedes no, that's anger. That's anger. That's not uh, en envy. Okay, envy. Envy. Oh, here it is. Envy is when I come to church here at Mission Viejo and I see that same special Mercedes in the parking lot out there because of the vanity plates. And I wonder who is in. And I, and I hide out in the parking garage up there and I just look to wait. And then I see the person get out and I go, oh, I know who that I don't even know where he sits. That guy's a jerk. Okay, I mean, that, that guy went on the men's retreat, and I was on his basketball team, and he never passed me the ball. I mean, that guy, he flaunts his wealth. I mean, his family must be a mess. I mean, if I didn't tithe so much, I could afford a Mercedes. You know, and so what I've done is I just have made that guy a, a rival. Now, watch this. When I make somebody a rival, my capacity to love him specifically, and others in general is 
minimized. I can make people enemies very quickly. You know, there's a lot of young families in this church. And I think where I first realized it with me is when my kids were little. Because I made, I made emotional enemies of other kids' parents when my kids didn't measure up. When my kid was on a team and not getting playing time and was better than the other kid, I made an emotional enemy. I think, who do you know? You must be connected to the coach. You're paying somebody on the side. You're the head of the booster division or something because your kid's not as good as my kid and you're experiencing something that I'm not experiencing, so I'm making you an enemy. Again, my capacity to then love that person specifically and even love in general is diminished. It happens all the time with parents. Those of you parents that your kid comes home with the straight-A report card pinned to their sweater, and, you know, they're walking, and I'm walking my kid out, and I've, I've never experienced that pinning, that little special ceremony where all the A's get pinned. I've never experienced that, and you're experiencing something that I don't have, and all of a sudden, you're beca- I mean, my, you, you got that bumper sticker that says, my kid was student of the month. That's the stupidest bumper sticker in the history of bumper stickers, Okay. I never, well, I had one. My kid was student of the month in juvenile hall. But uh, it's, it's a whole different bumper sticker. But here's the deal. I know what it's like to create rivals in my heart. Which means I know you. Because you're a lot like me. And you can do that. All right. Doug's self-disclosure time is over. Now I'm coming after you, okay? It's your self-disclosure time. How many of you, by show of hands, could say that, um, yes, I have enemies, an enemy or an enemy. I know it's, you know, a, a co-worker or somebody that I could, I could put a name and a face to it. Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand. Look around. Look around. You're not alone. Okay, some people are lying, but you're, you're amongst many. Okay, now how about you're more like me? You're more like me. You're going, I really can't put a name and a face to it, but I have emotional enemies, and I create rivals real quickly. Let me see your hands. <laughs> All right, how about this? How about that? You're going, Doug, both of those describe me. Let me see. Okay, that's awesome. I appreciate your, your honesty, and obviously we could use a little help here. And I'm smart enough to know that I can't just say to you, okay, congregation, Jesus says love your enemies. Go do that. Go. Okay. No, it doesn't work. That's, that's too simple. That's why I never really loved the WWJD movement. I never thought it went deep enough. WW, what would Jesus do? You know, I'm bouncing on the bed as a little kid, and my dad comes in. What would Jesus do? Hover? I, you know, I don't know, Dad. I just don't, I don't know the answer to that. WWJD, I got my bracelet. What would Jesus do? He would do the right thing because he's God, okay? So he's got that going for you that you don't, all right? Because we're not God, because we're flawed and fallible and in need of help, let's go a little practical. So if we're really going to walk out of here and go, Okay, I'm going to love my enemies. What does that look like? Maybe a couple options. I'm calling them door number one, door number two. Door number one is the door of will. This is where I just will it. I'm going to love my enemy. I'm just going to, I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him. 
I'm going to love him. I'm going to love you. You're my enemy. I hate you now, but I'm going to love you because I went to church. I'm going to love you. I love you. I love you. No, you're a jerk. I don't love you. Uh, yeah, I love you. I do. I love, I love you too. Well, no, I, I love you. you know, that's the willing it. Okay? Now, like last week I was in South Carolina and my buddy said that he would actually pay for the meal if I ate an oyster, because I was saying how just I've never had one, I'm grossed out by them, and, I, and he said, well, I'll pay for the meal if you eat one. It was a, it was a nice place, and so I was going, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat this oyster. Now, I didn't eat this oyster out of joy, out of, out of love for seafood. Uh, you know, we're in the capital of the seafood industry right there. No, I, I willed the whole thing. I gagged before during, several times, and after. I may even gag now just thinking about that, okay? I only willed that, I willed it down to not pay for the meal, okay? Now, the door, a lot of people teach this willing door. Go through, you just will it, just love your enemies. Now, there are some things that I think work through this door, that you can pray for your enemies. I think, I don't know if it changes them, but it changes you. You can definitely celebrate their success. If you can celebrate the success of an enemy and get to rejoice and say positive things and affirm them, that begins to, again, change you. There are people who say you can act your way into a feeling, and I believe that to a degree. I just think it takes a long, long time, and it's not very effective. A lot of us in here feel like failures because we've tried to will things, and our will isn't strong enough but you can choose that door. There's another door to choose if you're going to love your enemies, and it's door number two, and it's what I call the door of wisdom. And some of you might be saying, well, Doug, we're talking about loving our enemies. Where does wisdom come into this? What does wisdom have to do with all of this? Now listen carefully. Biblical wisdom is different than human wisdom. Biblical wisdom is different than human intelligence, meaning this. There are some very intelligent people who don't have God's wisdom. The wisdom that the Bible refers to is this this spiritual dimension that enters your life and it brings a level of awareness that you cannot manufacture on your own. This wisdom comes from God. It is a gift from God. I'll give you a definition that's not a Doug definition. I stole it out of a theological dictionary. Wisdom. An unusual insight and strength that comes from God and is characteristic of God Himself. Scripture affirms that true wisdom is a gift from God. Now, if you were to do a study on biblical wisdom, here's what you would find out. The first step towards biblical wisdom is actually loving God. Okay, that's how you get it. The first step is to, to love God. Wisdom, this wisdom comes from God, but what I want us to do is I want to focus on the benefits. I want to focus on the benefits of this biblical wisdom. If you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. If not, it's on the screen or in your notes. Verse 13, it says, Blessed are those, again, we're going to now do the benefits. Blessed are those who find wisdom. Some of you know this. You could take the word blessed and use the word what? What transfers? Who knows? Happy. Happy. Happy are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she, that's wisdom, 
is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She, again wisdom, is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Now, how many of you ladies in here notice that wisdom is used in the feminine tense? Who noticed that? Yeah, mostly women. Uh, and now, ladies, let's not get carried away on this one, because as soon as you start getting cocky, I would take you to my favorite proverb, Proverbs eleven twenty two, which says, a woman is, who is beautiful but lacks wisdom is like a gold ring in a pig's snout, okay? So, don't get too cocky. Uh, you got to have wisdom. Now, if you were to study this text, here's, here's what you find. Let's just pull out the gems. First, there's a connection between wisdom and happiness. Second, wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Third, nothing compares to wisdom. Fourth, wisdom will guide you down the right path. And ultimately, isn't that what we want? We want to walk our lives down the right path. Right? Some of the benefits of wisdom. Take a look at this, Proverbs 9, 11, and 12. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. So let me give you the big picture summary. Here it is. You win with wisdom. Okay? You win with wisdom. Now here's your choice. You can either seek it or you can scorn it. You can either benefit from wisdom or you can suffer without wisdom. And my personal experience of following Jesus for 30 plus years is, is this, that the closer I draw to Jesus, it's more apparent that the wisdom that I get, what it does is it gives me, it gives me an unusual insight into the scriptures where I'm able to see some of the radical calls of Jesus and understand them more clearly. I see the connection between wisdom and love your enemies. It works together. I want to show you this. Flip your notes over. How love and wisdom work together in a few significant ways. The first is this. When we have wisdom, there are bigger issues about humanity that need to be understood. Now again, under the umbrella of love, love your enemies. Wisdom helps me understand that when it comes to enemies... There is something called sin. We live in a, here's a theology of sin. We live in a sinful world. Sinful just means this, that we are separated, we are disobedient from God's standard. That's sin, disobedience from God's standard. People sin, then therefore people hurt people. So track the progression. Sin is disobedience from God's standard. People sin, people hurt people. So wisdom gives me this, this, this bigger picture that there are enemies out there. We create enemies because people hurt people. That really, when you understand the theology of sin, no behavior should surprise you. I am I'm never surprised by anyone's behavior. I'm not shocked by it. Now, I love Africa. My, my family has spent, my, my kids have lived there for months at a time. I've been to Africa many times. What happened in Nairobi last week in the mall, I've been in that mall, is, is sick and disgusting and gross and evil and vile. 
I hated every picture and story that I heard out of that. But I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. Because sin is disobedience from God's standards. People sin. People hurt people. I tried to teach my children the theology of sin when I was teaching them to drive. Okay? I wanted them to understand the depravity of human nature. And I think what I was learned was the depravity of my own patients. But what I was really trying to teach them is this. Look, if you view every driver as a bad driver, it'll change your perspective. I mean, if you view every driver that they are going to cut in front of you, stop in front of you, swerve into your lane, run a red light, do all the stuff that your mom does, then you, you are... You, you know, you're never, you're never going to be surprised, okay? You just won't be surprised. So when somebody cuts you off and flips you off, you go, ah! <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I knew you. My dad warned me about that. That is so great. Dad, you should see what happened, okay? It just, it changes, it changes everything. So why are we surprised when people hurt us? Now, saddened? Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally saddened. I'm sad that sin has so impacted that person's life because it's very clear that hurt people actually hurt people. Up on the screen, Proverbs 29, verse 6, evil people are trapped by sin. So think about this. If sin is trapping somebody's life, why are we surprised when they do hurtful things to us? You know, why would people who haven't been, haven't experienced God's forgiveness, they aren't filled with God's spirit, they aren't walking in alignment to the ways and teachings of Jesus, why would they display any type of love at all? That's why Jesus says, followers, disciples, close ones, among you, it's going to be different. Okay, among you, it's going to be different. Because of my love in you, Doug Fields, you're able to love at a deeper capacity. Don't just love your neighbors. Love your enemies, too. But without Jesus coming in and transforming someone's life, it's just not, it, it's not realistic for us to think that we're not going to live in a world where people are going to hurt us. A couple years ago, I invited a neighbor to play on a church softball team that I was on. We needed an extra player, and I knew he was good. And uh, I, so I invited him to play on our team. And what you need to know about my neighbor, um, he's a construction worker, foul mouth. I mean, he, he combines cuss words like you've never heard before. I mean, he offends rappers, okay? That, that's the kind of cussing he does. Um, and he, he dr he's drunk most of the time, so he's a, he's a cussing drunk. And I invite him to play on our church softball team because even drunk, he's better than everybody on the team. And uh, he came on the team, and he, he was great. But by the third inning, the captain of the team came over and says, Doug, you've got you to talk to your friend. I mean, he's, he's offending everyone. And I said, you talk to him. Okay? You called and said you need an extra player. I brought the best one. It's just not realistic to think that 
A life that hasn't been transformed by Jesus is going to behave the way we want them to. Plus, I actually thought it was kind of cool that he was intimidating the other church team that we were playing. I, I kind of like that. Now, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying what he was doing was right. Okay, I'm not saying what he was doing was right. But I'm saying when sin rules in a person's life, it will leak out into their behavior. Now, if I have God's wisdom and I understand the big picture of the theology of sin, wisdom helps me see people different. So instead of an enemy, compassion appears. Instead of an enemy, I see them as created in the image of God, just not transformed yet. So when I beg God for wisdom... There are bigger issues about humanity that need to be understood. Second, I need God's wisdom because there are hidden issues about myself that need to be seen. I need God's wisdom because I need insight into my own life. See, what biblical wisdom does for me, it allows me to ask the why question. If you're taking notes, you might write that down. Think more deeply on this later. Why? Why do I have this enemy? See, here's what we normally do. We ask, what? What did that enemy do to me? What, what hurt me? Now, if you stay there, that's elementary, that's preschool type stuff. You know, when you ask, what? You continue to blame the person, and that gets you no closer to freeing up your heart. But when you apply the why question, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find two primary emotions within. Here's where I'll just take you into the life of Doug Fields. When I ask why that hurt and why I'm making that person an enemy, I'm going to find one in the fetal position, okay, one just fetal, and one in the attack position. The one in the fetal position is fear. That's where I meet fearful Doug, who's afraid, who's afraid of failure, who's afraid of rejection, and that's why it hurt. He's afraid of being misunderstood. He's afraid my insecurity will be exposed. That's, that, that's the one in the fetal position. The one in the attack position is hurt. Because when you, when you ask the why and you discover hurt, all hurt does is hurt back. And that's all that hurt does. It's just constantly in the attack position. And it's very dangerous because when I attack you, here's what happens. When I attack you... I don't have to deal with my own pain. And friends, the reason I want you to get this so bad is because if you don't go to the hidden issues in your inner being, in your soul, you will never, and I guarantee you this, you will never live the deeper preferred life that Jesus is calling you to. Because what happens is you stay on the surface, you blame other people, you justify your actions, and you minimize your part in the pain. That's why you, you beg for wisdom, and you see these hidden issues. And if not, you will continue to be a superficial, shallow person. So what does wisdom do? It helps me see the big issues. It helps me see the hidden issues. And third, this biblical wisdom, it helps me see that there are deeper issues. Deeper issues from God that need to be reflected. Now, I spent four years in Bible college studying this book. 
I spent then three years in graduate school, seminary, affectionately termed cemetery, um, studying this book. I don't claim to have God figured out, but I can tell you one of the characteristics that I do know about God from beginning to end is that part of God's nature is forgiveness. And if you and I are going to walk out of here and have anything to do with loving our enemies, forgiveness has to be a part of our makeup. Now, let's just do a quick overview. Some of you may know this. Some of you may not. How are we to forgive? If you looked in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 18, Peter, verse 21 says, um, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, what you need to know about during this time, the, the law required that you forgive three times. So Peter is actually exaggerating. He's going, okay, three is what the... So Jesus, let's double it, and then I'm going to add one because I like to be the teacher's pet. So, you know, seven times, Jesus? Is that how many times I should forgive? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some earlier manuscripts have 70 times seven. Jesus has not given him a number that when you get up to, you know, 77 or 490, then you can stop forgiving. No, Jesus is saying you continue to forgive and keep forgiving and forgiving until your heart is clean. Then we're going to see where forgiveness gets really radical. Let's flip over to Matthew 6, verse 15, where he says, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Man, there are some verses I could go my entire life without teaching. That would be one. I'd love to skip that one. I'd love to not have to teach that one. I'd like to hide the truth. Say, yeah, you know, if you don't want to forgive people, don't, just don't, move on. No, that's not how Jesus plays. He says, you want my forgiveness? Somehow there's a connection from God's forgiveness for, for us, God's forgiveness, our forgiveness to others, God's forgiveness for us. And it's, and it's radical. Do you want God's forgiveness on your life? Of course you do. So you forgive others. That's the deeper issue to reflect. Now, let's be honest. Forgiveness is not natural. It's not natural. If you hurt me, I don't go, oh, what an opportunity to forgive. Oh, thank you, Jesus, another enemy. I love this. No, I don't run to the kitchen and bake a reconciliation cake. Is when you, you hurt me, you know what I want? I want revenge. And because I'm a pastor, I don't want to carry it out. I just want somebody else. I want a meteor to strike you. I want, I want your house to burn. No, that's too, a little too violent. A meteor for sure, not the house. But I want, I want you to experience the pain that you've just created for me. What I'm saying to you is this, friends. Forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness is spiritual. That you are never more like Jesus than when you forgive. Yes, you have hurts. People have hurt you. God understands those hurt. God was human. Jesus. Jesus was hurt in every type of way emotionally, relationally, physically. 
Okay? He, was, he was hurt. Pain, betrayal, conflict, hatred. Brutally nailed onto the cross and on the verge of death, watch what he models for us. On the verge of death, some of his very last words are what? Forgive them for they know not what they do. So when Jesus is calling you and me to a preferred life, to follow in the ways of Jesus. It's to follow in the ways of forgiveness. Don't just love your neighbors. Anybody can do that. Even the pagans do that. Followers of Jesus, I've called you to something more radical. You love your enemies. And that, my friends, is spiritual maturity. I've lived in this county a long time, and I've talked to a lot of people, and people love to... Christians love to talk about spiritual maturity and they, they talk about Bible studies that they've gone to and the size of their Bible and the concordances they're reading. And my Bible's so heavy, I have a holder. You know, whatever it is, they just, we love to show how spiritually, I go to six by eight quiet times, I'm reading these books, you know, I tithe this much. Let me give you spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is you live a life of forgiveness. That's being spiritually mature. You love your enemies. I see so many people who are one act of forgiveness away from the preferred life that Jesus is calling you to. You're just one act of forgiveness away. But your enemies, your hatred, your anger, your holding on is gripping your heart. And you don't have that love to give to the other people in, in your life. See, being a person of forgiveness is courageous. It's so courageous. It's a radical action that frees up your heart. So here's my, my message to you today. Wisdom is available for you. God wants to give it to you as a gift to see the bigger issues of humanity, to see the hidden issues in your own life, and the deeper issues that we need to reflect, those of forgiveness. It's available to you today. Where does wisdom start? It begins, Psalm 111, with the love of the Lord. It's a gift from God. So respond to that. And as we move into a time of prayer and extended worship, I want to encourage some of you, you need to respond to this. Don't walk out of here the same person. This is, I didn't like preparing for this message because I had to deal with this myself. I don't teach you anything. I don't mess with myself. And I hated this week. I saw how quickly I create rivals. I saw how easily wounded I am. Don't be the same person. Respond. What does that mean? It means maybe you sit silently for a little bit and you think about your enemies. Maybe you come up here and you ask somebody to pray for you. Maybe you write out a prayer and put it in the prayer wall. Don't just make a decision to will it. Okay, I'm going to love people more. No. Pursue wisdom because that's the game changer. Let's pray together. Jesus, may we be different because we were here. Thank you ultimately that we don't have to be your enemy anymore. Because of the blood that you shed, we were bought with a price. And that we're not enemies of you anymore, that you call us friend, child. May we embrace that, may we embrace the radical teaching that calls us not just to love our neighbors, but to Love our enemies. Some of us in here are in a pile of hurt. We're in deep pain. 
because we have the grip of hatred that's ruling in our lives. Thank you for calling us to a preferred life. May we have the courage to pursue it. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. God's people said, Amen.